Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old albums for some reason. This is Nick. This is Chris. And this is Caleb. And this week, I think Chris has a pick for us. That's right. I have selected 1986 Pretty in Pink. <laughs> All right. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wild. Jeez. It's crazy <laughs> in the studio tonight. Oh, man. Exciting pick. Yeah. Um, I felt like we needed a little romance in our lives. Um, this is uh, one of the John Hughes classics. I think I picked the other John Hughes classic, Weird Science, uh, <laughs> maybe his least favorite film. And this may, be one of, uh, this may be one of his best, I think. Yeah, Weird Science came out right before this movie did. That's right. Yeah, Weird Science is 85. This one was boom, boom. Supposed to be a sleeper, but it was a big hit. Yeah, let's jump into the soundtrack. Up first, we've got Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark with If You Leave. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, also known as OMD. Yeah, so um, a lot of music on the soundtrack was actually written uh, specifically for it, or at least was uh, appeared on the soundtrack before anything else. And uh, which makes a you know it's very impressive. But uh, uh, John Hughes knew what he had in this song because I think they play like the entire song in the movie. Yeah, like it it like really goes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought while watching it. They really uh, stretch it out in a way that uh, works really well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of the climax of the film. I, this is actually, um, I think, the first time I watched the entire movie um, in preparation for this episode. And I've got some things to say, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're we're, we're kind of working backwards here. This is the iconic ending prom scene which i didn't realize uh until doing a bit of research they reshot the entire thing months later yeah yeah Yeah. this was the second song that omd put together for the movie it was a goddess of love was the other yeah which is a great track um but i guess after they reshot it they needed omd to put together a song in like less than two days yeah (laughs) well this turned out to be by far omd's biggest song I think yeah. yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it seems like there, there's a lot of like uh, 80s new wave bands that had uh, like their good albums are kind of before they get like uh, MTV play and then they have like a big hit and then kind of get bad after that. But this is for, for their one big hit. This is actually a pretty good song. I dig this song. Is it them on stage at prom? by the way no i don't think so I think, it is not yeah it's, <laughs> they kind of set it up like there's two djs there's two like electro djs <laughs> at this like really fancy <laughs> rich kid prom <laughs> you're like, like imagine them showing up and you're like you know the principal or assistant principal like okay um <laughs> geez you have a lot of speakers i don't know <laughs> you need some sort of like cut copy type deal <laughs> 
I saw a funny video of OMD. They're still a band that is touring strong. Um, they're on tour, uh, I think, up until right before this uh, crisis started. But I watched a video of them from 2020, and uh, they're performing this song. And the lead singer, Andrew McCluskey, is, you know, he starts singing the, the lyrics and then he stops and he starts yelling at the crowd. He's like, louder! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, we stormed the stage at an OMD concert, man. Yeah. <laughs> they're crazy. Oh, God. <laughs> Definitely their uh, their biggest hit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Should we should we jump right into Ducky? I have a lot to say. Or well, we let's listen it? to the next track, and then we'll talk a little bit about, about the end of the film, since okay. we're starting at the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we'll, we'll save the uh, the alternate ending yeah. <laughs> for the end, too. Good idea. Uh, let's... Let's get into track two. This is Suzanne Vega with Joe Jackson, left of center. should uh, clarify that uh, Suzanne Vega and Joe Jackson, this is not Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson's father. No, no. This, this is, is uh, uh, the British singer-songwriter Joe Jackson. I love Joe yeah. Jackson. Joe Jackson, he was a, yeah, he was a guy that didn't really make it out of the 80s. Like, he was a huge star that you, like, nobody our age gives a shit about Joe Jackson. Um, Suzanne Vega, I think about her biggest hit was, it was called, like, uh, Joe's Diner or something. Tom's Diner. Tom's Diner. And it's, um, she released a version and it's acapella and it's the do, 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 do. And then somebody oh, remixed it or maybe, or maybe she released like a, it was, it was like kind of like a, I guess a little bit of a dance remix or electro remix and it became a huge hit. It's weird that that would, I'm sure that she was surprised that that would become her like career defining song. This song's pretty good. I am staring at the window and da, 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's very da, da, much yeah. <laughs> yeah, so do we when we talk about the the movie, do we want to start at the end? Let's work that let's memento it. Okay. So at the end, uh Molly Ringwald ends up with uh <laughs> ends up with a rich dude who seems Andrew fine. McCarthy. Blaine. Andrew McCarthy. Um but yeah, in the original version, she ends up with Ducky, who is um, her like sex pest best friend. Apparently, that d- ending did n- did not test well. Yeah, <laughs> audiences hated the ending. It's funny, like you can you can watch the movie and you know that he is kind of supposed to be the sympathetic lead, in that like he has the best taste in music and he like understands her. But the way that it's written, he's just such a fucking psycho. Yeah. <laughs> by the end of it, you're like, but the movie narratively, when I was watching it, it doesn't really make sense that at the end, because it's like a movie about her kind of like meeting a rich dude. And then it's like, I'm rich. And it's like, well, I'm not rich. And it's like, well, let's go out anyway. And then they kind of break up and then they kind of get back together. And that's like not much of a narrative arc. And it's kind of set. You could, it feels like it's kind of setting it up. For Ducky to be the guy, even though he's so unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are not rooting for Ducky. Uh, no. Right off the bat, 
Because he's like not just bothering her, but he's like bothering other girls about like he's like uh, which one of you all can get pregnant by May? <laughs> like I get slapped in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, it's, it's fucking annoying as shit. Do you guys know which song was playing over the uh, end of the movie originally when uh, Ducky and uh, Andy got together? No. no, it was David Bowie's Heroes. <laughs> oh man, bad. <laughs> There's a funny uh, interview with um, John Cryer, who plays Ducky, who you might know from uh, Two and a Half Men. I, yeah, I actually really. like John Cryer. Me I too. Don't, I don't. I don't blame it on him. He 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 does a good job. <laughs> I think it was, it was the role he was born to play because he kind of is Ducky in real life. <laughs> in this interview, the interviewer says. It's so unbelievable that uh, Andy got together with Blaine. Uh, he's such an asshole. And uh, John Cryer said, yeah, and he's got no lips, for God's sakes. That's the big problem. <laughs> no lips. No lips. <laughs> well, it was originally written for Anthony Michael Hall, who was kind of a, uh, a mainstay, but then he didn't want to do it or couldn't do it. I can't remember. I think he yeah, didn't. I think he didn't want to be... Typecast. Like stereotype. Or, yeah, yeah. typecast. He said no to uh, quite a few things around that time. He said no to the the title role in Ferris Bueller as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is pretty wild. Yeah. Oof. That <laughs> seems to have been Matthew Broderick's curse, though. I saw this one interview with Matthew <laughs> Broderick, and he just looked like strung out. And they're like, you okay there? And he's like, you know, when everyone, um, when I walk into a room, and I look bad. You know what they say to me? Have you thought about taking a day off? <laughs> it's like <laughs> 62 when he's saying that. Like, no. That's all people really know Matthew Broderick for. But. Well, it's, I think that he just has that uh, young face where he looks like a, a tired young person. You know, it's like the John <laughs> Mulaney thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this <laughs> sex pest ducky. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think also the studio didn't like that original ending because they thought that it was going to say something strange about um, like rich people and poor people shouldn't end up together. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I think uh, it maybe maybe we read the same interview there, Nick, but uh, they were asking like, so where would everybody be like uh, like years down the line? And then uh, you know Marley Ringwald was like, "Well, I would have broken up with Blaine like maybe that summer." <laughs> and yeah, then, I know. Uh, and then <laughs> Ducky would have come out of yeah. the closet like instantly <laughs> after high school or something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I that, mean, that makes a ton of sense. It's funny because it's it's kind of admirable because I think one of the reasons why it was successful is that it does seem like a real kind of authentic uh, high school movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's just the drama is just like kids being dicks to each other, yeah. And the stakes are like, oh, are we we're guess, guess kind of dating, or who's going to take me to prom? There's like yeah. not much going on, yeah. And at the end, it's like you kind of you don't really get a feeling like they're like happily ever after. Just like oh, I guess <laughs> they made up. The '80s were a tough time for these characters. <laughs> I think it's in that other John Hughes movie where like. Molly Ringwald's parents like forget her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> 16 candles. Yeah. Hard life. But the, yeah, I don't know. Before we move on to um, track three, just another thing I saw was, I don't know if this had anything to do with why the, uh, the test screening didn't um, get positive feedback, but 
apparently when they shot the original ending, Molly Ringwald was really sick with the stomach flu. And <laughs> she like passed out on uh, on in Ducky's arms while they were shooting. Oh, and, God. Yeah, I think she was feeling pretty under the weather. And that might have had something to do with why it didn't come across that well. She just I, think that, I think that's just John Cryer rationalizing why he got like... Yeah. <laughs> <cut> <laughs> yeah. Poor John Cryer. Oh, right? he had to end up with Christy Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. Yeah. Um, what the? So they're always they're always kind of. So Molly Ringwald is a little bit of a social pariah because you know she's so like obviously poor, but she doesn't. I don't know what that comes from. I think they like overstyled her because she's like, oh, she makes her own clothes. She's so funky, but she just looks good all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I think I lost so much of that the first time I saw this movie. I was like, wait, why is everyone like? Ugh. Look at that piece of trash that's dressed like extremely trendy, and she's uh, like, I don't, I don't really understand why she's uh, getting stigmatized. But hey, but if anyone, I was James Spader in high school, so uh, I was the James Spader character. Who, Dude, James Spader is so good. Oh, he's amazing in the. We'll have to, we'll have to get. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's listen to, to the next song, and then we'll we'll jump into Spader. Here comes track three. This is Jesse Johnson with Get to Know Ya. Yeah, he was uh, a member of the time, right? Uh, Prince's band. Yeah. So you can definitely hear some of that. You can definitely see. Minneapolis funk. Oh, yeah. You can definitely see a lot of Prince in him as well. (laughs) (laughs) Prince was so great that it was, yeah, it's like everybody, the closer you were to him, like the more you looked and sounded like him. Yeah. It was just like this musical force. It would turn everybody into Prince. (laughs) Gravitational pull. Yeah. Worst versions. (laughs) That song's all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've started doing uh, tours at uh, Paisley Park. Nice. Yeah, that would be cool. We can go to Prince's house. I mean, if you've seen what that place looks like, it just looks like a like an insurance company <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the inside? What's going on the inside? I mean, the inside is kind of crazy. There's a um, there's like a full music venue inside. It's where you know Prince had his recording studio. It's it's also where he lived for you know a large part of his life. And they've still got everything is kind of like left uh, untouched there. He's got all these archives, like a. Uh... I remember reading, or maybe I was listening to an interview. Somebody was like, had gotten hired to. It's like Prince is doing a, a music video, and he like has he hires like a crew, and he's doing this whole thing, and somebody's working on it, and they're like, kind of, t- they're like, so, uh, like, when's this going out? Like, when's this coming out? And they're like, what? It's like, when's this when's this video going to be released? It's like, oh no, this is just for him. <laughs> just like <laughs> he does this all the time, and he just archives it. I think I re- it was like some Onion headline that was like someone broke into the Prince vault and realized that it was actually um, 430 hours of Bob Dylan covers. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? We'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right, well, let's let's jump into the Spader because uh, the Spader-Andrew McCarthy thing, 
I guess maybe only three movies, but they were kind of like the uh, the yin and yang of like of preppy eighties movies. He's he's by far my favorite character in this movie. He's like essentially the Iago character, where you know either motivated by jealousy or just kind of like a little bit of a evil streak. He's oh, just man. kind of <laughs> fucking up everybody's lives a little bit. I loved it so much. Like he's un- <laughs> an unbelievable asshole in every scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's like uh, she's nada. She's nothing. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> Look, he had gotten turned down from her uh, several times. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why he's doing it. But yeah, he's like, "Look, I'm trying to be a good friend by calling you a fucking moron and saying you're dating a piece of trash." I don't know what the issue is. He's smoking Marlboros. <laughs> James Spader's character is like constantly on his way to an after hours party he's like (laughs) at prom the first time you see him at prom it's like the tie is untied it's like drunk just in linen suits just gliding (laughs) through high school halls (laughs) i love it yeah and this i I guess this song um uh, get to know you is playing at his like you don't realize it's his party until you go in or they like sneak up into that parent's bedroom and it's just him in a robe <laughs> drinking whiskey yeah like acting like a 42 year old man yeah my whole take on that party so they you know uh andrew mccarthy takes takes her to the party it's like a little dickheaded because he's like oh let's go to a birthday party and she's like i really don't want to and he's like yeah we're going anyway it's like, oh, okay. yeah. do, wait first do you want to change first do you want to change? Oh. She's like, I'm, I am changed. <laughs> First date. So they go in, but then she's like, she's like, this is terrible. And it's just like a party. It's actually kind of like for it's a high like school party, me, it's probably man. like yeah. pretty great. And you're like, what is her problem? And then he's like, well, let's just go upstairs. And then they, and then it's like, oh yeah, James Spader. It's just like, oh, <laughs> it's wasted. Yeah. And then, so the other two movies, they were both in Mannequin. I can't remember... I assume that James Spader's character was a villain in Mannequin, but I can't remember. I haven't seen it in so long. And then uh, Less Than Zero, he's like definitely evil in that. <laughs> yeah, he he likes playing the uh, the evil guy. He's good. Oh, man. Even love Ultron, him. he's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love him, love him. He's won multiple Emmys and he deserves it. He's great. I'm not gonna lie. I think I look like young James Spader when I, I was a young pup myself. <laughs> And uh, oh, yeah. if I'd only known, I would have really leaned into it, I think. <laughs> this was actually the first time that I watched this movie this Ooh. week. Yeah. What do you think? What were your, what was your biggest yeah, takeaway? First impression, yeah. I thought Molly Ringwald's performance was uh, outstanding. And um, I mean, the soundtrack is uh, classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really great. She's like... I, I get it. I get Molly Ringwald and the like. She is like an extremely likable lovable cute high school girl you know what i mean you're like oh yeah. man she's because she's kind of got the girl next door thing but like there's a little bit of like uh not manic pixie dream girl but like all the good um elements of that you know what i mean she works at a new wave record store yeah oh man yeah high school yeah. me would have been all about it man beautiful funny it's uh it's just a shame that she was just so poor <laughs> 
with a deadbeat dad. <laughs> oh, God. Who could Harry, Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. That was another, dude, that weird scene where uh, we should probably get into the next song, but I'm going to talk about Harry Dean Stanton after maybe this next track. All right, here comes track four. This is In Excess with Do What You Do. NXS has been all over the podcast lately. Yeah, I guess it's it's only the seventh episode in a row with NXS, I think. <laughs> this is like a, again, I this is, you know, for the soundtrack and it's uh it's not a great NXS song. It's fine. Yeah. They're not the best. They're but doing what good. they do, you know. What is spelled W O T in this <laughs> yeah. song title? F-Y-I. Yeah, they're all straight. Give them a break. <laughs> do what, mate? Uh, so Harry Dean Stanton, there's one big, um, like, I guess one of the big dramatic scenes is like this conversation that he's having with his daughter. Is that the one where he's talking about the mom that has had left them yeah, well, when they were younger? I was a little bit confused because so the mom took off and he's like unemployed or something. But I, there's <laughs> Molly Ringwald makes some sort of connection about him not getting a job to him still being in love with his wife or something yeah they kind of cover yeah. all the bases in that one <laughs> he, just, <dramatic. laughs> he starts crying and he's like i love you you're right and then that's it that's the last time you see him <laughs> i'm like did he get a job i don't get it what's happening yeah i think they only show him like drinking in one scene but you know you're to believe that he's uh you know an alcoholic for sure yeah that's, that's that was my takeaway I, I, my guess uh or in my own head he like slept through his job interview because he got drunk or something Right, because uh, there's one scene where he's like cracking a beer, and he's talking to Ducky, and he's like, "Up, oh, I gotta go." <laughs> you're like, where, where are you going? He's been sitting on the lawn drinking, man. Come on. <laughs> I think it's the first scene in the movie where she wakes him up. You know, she usually wakes him up every morning, and when he gets up, he says, "Where am I?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was kind of. There's like hints where he's like, "Oh, I got a job interview," and she's like, "Oh, what job?" And he's like, oh, "I'll tell you later." I was like, is, is like James Spader hiring him to do something demeaning or something? Or what's going to be the <laughs> twist? You just never, you just never find out. I was like, I don't know. Like what at the plant? Do you get a job at the plant? Uh, some rich kid uh, named Steph is uh, asking me to be human furniture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something like horrifying. I'm a footstool uh, at a kid's yeah, party. Calling, kids are calling them bum fights. And uh, well, you know. I'm not homeless per se, but I can I can look like a bum, so I think I can get the gig. <laughs> oh boy, God. rough stuff! You guys want to get into track five? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. This is the title track. This is the psychedelic first with "Pretty in Pink." Is 
John Hughes was a uh, big Psychedelic Furs fan. That song originally came out in 81. Yeah. Well, they did did the thing in the mid-80s that a lot of bands did kind of inexplicably where they would take a... uh, a good song and re-record it almost exactly the same but with bad saxophone in it <laughs> like this oh a, yeah this is the movie version of pretty and big yeah it's it's very similar but it's just like a little bit worse and like uh like the cure did that with a bunch of tracks it's just like a little bit slower and more horn mm-hmm. and you're like, just what? saxed it up yeah i guess that was if you want to know the difference between like the sound of 1981 and 1986 it's like some kind of shitty saxophone. Someone just cranking up the saxophone knob. <laughs> but it's 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 uh it's not it's not enough to make the song bad. That's still a pretty good song, even yeah. though it's not the best version. It's pretty cool how um, music was such a big part of John Hughes's creative process. Mm-hmm. He said that he would sometimes make like a a mixtape that was about ninety minutes long, and he would drive around and listen to it. Um, you know, all while he was drafting up the screenplay for a lot of his movies and. I think he also felt that like because music was such an integral part of the movie from the get-go that the politics of the music and the people that would listen to the music would link up with uh with the film and people would, you know, resonate with the characters because of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think well, it's I mean funny. It's... I think that a lot of the the pivotal songs to the characters um aren't even on the soundtrack. Maybe it's a licensing thing. Um, oh, I wish that Otis Redding song that Ducky sings had made it onto the soundtrack. Yeah, man, that's the that's Ducky like the, that's the best Ducky scene because oh, it's yeah. uh, you know it's relatable or something. You kind of He's, like you like him for about two and a half minutes. The record store owner <laughs> is also watching Ducky that whole time, and she's like, "I like this guy." <laughs> All right, that's <laughs> uh, that's what is it? Lori Petty is that her name? No, no Annie Potts. Annie, Annie Potts, Potts from yeah. uh, from Ghostbusters. Yeah. But she's she's great in this movie. And then they like end up at the uh, club together. Oh, yeah. They go out drinking. <laughs> yeah, that club looks awesome, by the way. Oh, Chris, talk about the bouncer. Worst part about it is the, the dice man. <laughs> the dice man is playing himself as the bouncer. Oh, that's the dice. That Can is dice maybe my favorite scene in the movie where he's really overdoing it while lighting a cigarette. <laughs> that's in his act. He like oh, opened so up his weird. act of just like, oh, oh, I'm going to light this cigarette all cool. <laughs> Doesn't he have like a shirt that just it says, has it's like dice. dice on it? It says dice, <laughs> dice on a shirt. Uh, yeah. And they call him the dice man. I'm like, uh, come on, just play a guy named Jesse or something. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, there was something about the 80s. There was like a huge uh, like renaissance for bouncers in popular culture. Yeah. Like, uh, like Mr. T got famous for being a bouncer. Um, Roadhouse That's is right. about a bouncer, about the best bouncer. And then, like, every movie needed to have a cool bouncer. God, that's so funny. Yeah, I guess, like, clubs were, like, getting more trendy or something. Mm-hmm. And then, like, bouncers became, yeah. yeah. Every, <laughs> movie, every movie needed a bouncer and every TV show needed an orphan. <laughs> 1986. And that thing in the 80s, too, where, like, everyone has free reign to smoke anywhere, everywhere. doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What a paradise, baby! A smoke yeah, a smokers paradise. lounge. Yeah. Well, we got to. I guess we got to talk about this song. I mean, it's playing all throughout the movie. The movie's named after it. But I was discussing this with my girlfriend. the The meaning of this song is is quite different from what I think they made this movie about. Or do you guys are you guys aware that it's like uh, it's a metaphor about being naked? 
she's pretty in pink. Oh. Yeah, well, it feels kind of shoehorned in because it's like Molly Ringwald's character is supposed to be kind of an artistic kind of uh, outcast or whatever. And yeah. that would be the last person that's always wearing pink. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, what does that? What does that mean? If it's not the metaphor of being naked, it's like, yeah, she's gonna be pretty in her pink dress at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's gonna be a great screenplay. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's about uh, a girl who sleeps around a lot, uh, and she thinks she's wanted and in demand, but people are talking her about her behind her back. That she's oh. really just she just looks good naked. Is what uh, the psychedelic first have said. Not my words. <laughs> That's 80s Britpop for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shall we jump into track six? Yeah, Nikki, do it. This is New Order with Shellshock. We can't find our peace of mind when life becomes our life of crime. That's the day I call your name. I came to you. I called in vain. You lost the faith. I was reading a thing about this track. I don't know if there's a lot of truth to this, but um, this article claimed that New Order had some fame before this uh, song was included on the soundtrack, but Shellshock being on Pretty in Pink was was really the thing that made New Order start to um, get big in America. Yeah. I, I think that that's probably true if you ignore the fact that they were Joy Division before Ian Curtis Before, died. yeah. Um, it's funny, I was thinking, I guess this might be the first time we've listened to New Order on the show. We've had uh, Joy Division tracks before, but... Uh, I really don't like this song very much, and I'm a huge New Order guy. There are two other New Order songs in this uh, movie, and I think yeah. they're both better than this one. Elygia, <laughs> uh, and then there was one other one where she was uh, making her pretty in pink dress. Oh. Apparently, around this time, John Hughes started his own uh, record label with the intention being that he could have exclusive control over every song that was going to go on a soundtrack and be able to pick what the, what the lead single was going to be. So I, I think that happened after this movie, but yeah, it's, it's not the, the best new order song. Um, I can't remember if bizarre love triangle had already come out in 86, but um, there yeah. was a, they have a compilation called substance. It was there. It was kind of like an album length uh, release. It was a bunch of singles because it was, mm-hmm. it was before they put out like a, an album proper. I think this is on that along with Bizarre Love Triangle and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of in that same sonic territory. Yeah. 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 This is playing while Ducky is, uh, it's clearly a stunt double and not him <laughs> riding um, like his BMX bike and doing crazy tricks. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like angry riding his BMX, but also really doing some cool like wheelies and jumps on. I was like, oh, cool. That's what you do when you're angry. That's awesome. <laughs> The way that the way that I kind of imagine this film um, coming about is John Hughes like writing it about you know it's like you kind of see that maybe Ducky is the screenwriter you know mm-hmm. he's like the one that's always there and he's the one that understands you and has always loved you and then at the end gets the girl 
And so he like writes this thing where it's like, yeah, like he's, he loves good music and he dresses goofy and this and that, but he sticks up for her. And then at the end he gets her and they do the screening and people are like, boo, yeah. you suck. And it's like, all right, well, let's reshoot it. Oh, you're so right. Like, yeah, like, and, and of course, you know, in, in real life, that guy gets the girl, right? They're like, right. Uh, Everybody, so, John, this is really interesting how in this movie, um, the, the main character ends up with the villain. Talk about that. He's like, the villain. No, he's the good guy. <laughs> he always was there for her, and so she doesn't is, understand. Oh, I see. So this is like a twist on the romantic, like, the romantic comedy where the, the main character ends up with like the scumbag, the terrible nerd, <laughs> the most unlikable character. And he's like, hey. I, you know, I think to your point earlier, Caleb, there, there is a little ducky in all of us, and this this resonates so much. Like, cause yeah, he's overreacting and being stupid, but like, I remember high school kids doing stuff like this, and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. when he kisses Annie Potts from the record store, and he's like, "I found your replace, or you've been replaced." <laughs> like, yeah, that would make everybody happy in the room. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't think John Hughes was a big fan of uh, notes. <laughs> <laughs> from, the, from the studio i mean i think it's why he eventually got out of directing i think the last movie he made was uh or the last movie he directed was uh curly sue mm. in, yeah. in 91 yeah and then like did like writing on some movies that i didn't realize he he had written on after that up until he passed away in um, 2010 but he wrote like the original beethoven movie yeah. followed by beethoven second and uh and miracle on 34th street baby's day out 101 dalmatians flubber <laughs> <laughs> i think his, his defense was that when he would get notes from a studio he was like well like writers of novels that have crafted great works um haven't gotten notes from a publisher <laughs> Yeah. It's like, well, and also, yes, they do. Yeah, <laughs> they they do all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. it's called and, an editor, <laughs> and they don't have ten million dollars on the line. You know, there's yeah. no much money involved with making a movie. Writing, you're just like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, we'll publish it, but <laughs> you know? I was like, come on, John Hughes, lighten up. <laughs> yeah, wow. To be a good writer, what do they say? It's you have to be an egomaniac with a low self esteem. So it's like you have to, oh, no. yeah, uh, it's a great <laughs> combo. Like <laughs> That's the sauce. <laughs> All right, let's get into track seven. This is Beloise Sum with Round Round. Couldn't find too much info about Beloise some, but my guess is that this is uh, just like a a random one-off song that was put together for the film. Yeah, probably. I mean, a lot of this music was put together for the film, but uh, I, I'm a little bit sad because there's a couple live bands that are actually like playing, you know, featured pretty prominently when they're at the club. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And n- none of those bands got music on the. Uh, the I mean, they have real releases, but they're not on the soundtrack for whatever reason. I would have preferred to have some of that. Uh, the rave ups, I think. Yeah, the rave ups. And then uh, Dweezil Zappa is one of the guys. Oh yeah, he has a little band. bit role. Yeah, he's got he's Simon in it. And then also, I noticed in the record store. Um, like one, it was like recommended album, and it's Dweezil. Oh yeah, it was like yeah, album yeah. pick of the week. I was like, oh hell yeah, what's up, Dweezil Zappa, son of Frank Zappa? It's funny, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a record hound, and I was all the scenes in the in the record store. I was kind of looking around to see if I could recognize any like albums that I liked. Yeah, and uh, I didn't recognize any of them, and I can't tell if they were like prop albums or if it was just like a specific time and place where it was just like. I saw an album by the Smiths in the record shop. Yeah, I saw oh, okay. that. I saw that. Some posters. It's a. Uh, it's not one of my favorite songs on this soundtrack, but it's not terrible. I was like, uh, I remember when I think I, I was just like uh, skimming over the track list. And I saw Round Round, and I was hoping that it was that other, the Dead Alive song. You spin me right round. Yeah. Or uh, Round and Round by Rat. <laughs> round and <laughs> <No>. round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is it a break time? What do you what do you say, Nick? Yeah, it looks like we're coming up on a break. We've got a a new game uh, that we will find out shortly how it's played from uh, from our friend Caleb. Yeah, I put together a game. We'll see how you guys do. See if you guys like it or not. And then uh, at the end of the episode, we are going to add a song to the track listing Spotify playlist. Our favorite song about a rich guy or girl, rich person, rich people. Stick with us. Hey, thank you guys for listening to the Track Listing Podcast. As always, we want to hear from you. Hey! Hey! Thank you for listening to the podcast. Welcome to our ad. Uh, how can they uh, reach out to us, Chris? Well, you can find us on Instagram. That is at Track Listing Podcast. You can Gmail us. Do people, uh, it's 2020 now. I don't know if people email anymore. People but if, if, if you want Gmail, it's uh, tracklistingpodcast at gmail.com. And rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And make sure to follow our uh, official Spotify track listing playlist on Spotify. Get on that iTunes and try to balance out our one, one star review. Yeah, who did that? <laughs> who Hey! Hey! <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love y'all. Welcome back to the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. But before we get back, we've got a game, a new game, prepared by Caleb. Yeah, guys, uh, I put together a little bit of a new game. Um, you might recognize the format from kind of a pub quiz uh, style format. Basically, uh, it's going to test some of your movie music knowledge. I'm going to pit you guys against each other. You're going um, down, Nick. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, what's Shots up, dude? Fired. Yeah, what's up, dude? Are, I'm competitive, bro. So we got four rounds, and each, each round has four clues. And basically, uh, you can lock in with one answer per round. And you're going to text me the answer. Uh, don't don't let uh, your competitor know what you're guessing. And so the first first clue is going to be worth five points. And then if you don't answer then, then the, you get the third clue, which is worth three points. And then the third is worth two. And then the fourth is worth worth one. All righty. Okay. And so uh, when you lock in, just tell me, text me, and then I'll wait until you get all the clues. And then I'll let you know what you guys both guessed. And then we'll hear the answer. All right. Okay. 
think so. I think so, yeah. So the clues are going to go from kind of uh, vague to more specific. And so the, the final clue will hopefully make things pretty clear. And then these things are generally, I'm uh, not really going from easy to hard. It's chronological as we go. So round one, are you guys ready? Ready. Yeah, I'm ready. You your phones. Phones Phone handy? Ready. Phone handy. So the five point clue. This song reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 11th, 1984, staying there for three weeks. That year it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but lost out to Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You, which is apparently from a movie. What do you guys think about that? Anything, Rainy Bells? 1984, song in a movie. What were you guys doing in 1984? What were you listening to? wasn't uh, even a, a glimmer in your my parents' eye quite yet. That is eye. <laughs> um, ooh. Okay. All right. Uh, I got nothing. I'm going to move on to the three-point clue. So you guys already lost two points. It's pretty sad. Fuck. Uh, the artist wasn't the first choice to write this song. Fleetwood Mac's Lindsey Buckingham passed on the opportunity, among others. Okay. I know this. I feel like I've read about this song before. So 1984, they're recruiting people to do a song for a movie. I got nothing. Okay, I'm I am submitting my <laughs> my guess. Okay. So uh, let me make a note here for this is a three point clue. Darden is locking in. Okay. Right, Locked so in. Two points for Nick. A cover performed by the rock band Fallout Boy. Featuring Missy Elliott uh, in nineteen, in, sorry, in two thousand sixteen for a film reboot. Fallout Boy cover song of this said song that Mr. Buckingham himself passed on. It was, the song was covered by Fallout Boy featuring Missy Elliott in two thousand sixteen for a reboot. I got nothing, Chris. Do you think that? Do you think that you're right? Does this make you uh, think? What that was you're the right, year, What was the year of the reboot? Two thousand sixteen. I think I'm right. Okay. Are you ready, Nick, for the last clue? Yes. All right. For one point, Huey Lewis sued the song's author, along with Columbia Pictures, for copyright infringement, stating that it was too similar to his song, I Want a New Drug. Oh, come on, Nick. (laughs) Come on. Chris is very competitive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm losing Um, my mind. It's, it's, it's not coming to me. Okay. So uh, what's, can we hear the answer? Well, first of all, Darden, uh, for three points, he locked in with Ghostbusters. Ah. Ghostbusters just, by who? By who? Actually, I should say that I'm going to be pretty uh, lenient with, with all the answers texted in as far as like song title and uh, an artist and whatever. Mr. Ghostbuster. Mr. Ghostbusters. Uh, Mr. Ghostbusters. Uh, no, it's, um, it's Ray something Ray Jr. Um all right, let's hear the answer. God dang it, I know it. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? All right, very good, Darden. That is Ghostbusters yeah. by Ray Parker Jr. Ray Parker Jr. Oh, man, yeah, if there yeah. was only a cover of that song by Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> if only that song had been uh, written and performed by Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I didn't realize that, but the date was ringing a lot of bells for me. I knew Ghostbusters was '84 uh, or like '83, uh, '84, and I was like, what would hit? Like, what would be written for a movie and hit the charts for like three weeks? I was like, it kills me that that song. I mean. I love it, but it but 
I just imagine it being performed on on the Oscars is kind of crazy to me. <laughs> that was like an early um, track listing episode that we did that uh, hasn't been released. Yeah, uh, we did the Ghostbusters two. I think it was. Uh, oh yeah, Ghostbusters two. Deuce. All right. Deuce. Round two. Nick, you are trailing. We uh, Chris has three points. Nick I'm was, feeling Nick good. I'm going to come back. Yeah. Come back. All right. yeah, Round two. Good. The five point clue for five points. This song was released on December seventeenth, nineteen ninety one. It reached number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was the artist's fifth and final top ten hit. Uh, I should say that that clue is a little bit of a lie for a dramatic effect, because <laughs> I believe that he had uh, that this artist had two songs in the top ten at the same time, so I don't know if this was his last, but uh, one of his last two. Top so, much info, so much info. So much <laughs> So not... Not a uh, not a band by by the way that you're describing. No, it sounds like someone's a name. Solo artist. Solo 1991. Artist. Number it was seven. their it was their last top ten hit. Their last top ten hit. Hmm. All right. All right. I, I think I might need a clue too. What do you I think, think Darden? I think so too. Yeah, you want to play it safe. All right. Yeah. For three points, the song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rap Solo Performance uh, in 1993. And it was the recipient of the Golden Raspberry Award Award for Worst Original Song in 1991. <laughs> so the huh. Grammys loved it, but the Raspberries hated it. Okay. Well, the Raspberries loved it, technically. <laughs> no, the Raspberries said it was the worst original song. <laughs> but they gave it an award. The, all the Raspberries are the worst of... Anyway, I'm not going to get into semantics. <laughs> All right, I've texted Caleb something. Okay, okay. rap song. So Nick rap. is locked in for three points. All right, Darden, ready for two? Yeah. The film for which this song was written also produced what would become the best-selling pinball machine of all time. <laughs> okay, got it. Um, I am texting you right now. Okay. I mean, Nick's already locked in, so you can just say what your guess is. Oh, I can say it? Uh, well, no, just text me because I got one more clue for the listeners, I guess. Okay. Uh, for one point, the music video for this song features actors Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, and Christina Ricci. Uh, Darden, what do you think this is? The Adams Family Values <laughs> song? Or just Adams Family by MC Hammer? And... Uh, and Nick, what did, what did you lock in with? Uh, I locked in too soon. I uh, I went with uh, Hypnotize um, by Biggie. All right, let's hear the answer to round two. Here we go. But what do I see? Yo, a perm with feet. Standing about three feet tall. I'm out of here. They do what they want to do. Say what they want to say. Live how they want to live. Play how they want to play. Dance how they want to dance. Dick and they stop a friend. All right, good job, Darden. <laughs> oh man, that song sucks so bad. Oh, That's man. not great. That I love that it was nominated for a Grammy. Oh god, and it was coming off hot of his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rap song, T U R T L E Power. <laughs> oh man, so what is happening? <laughs> Hammer never saw a deal he didn't like. So. Yeah, that was, that was his Couldn't last. No. His last huge hit. <laughs> All right, uh, round three. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right, for five points, uh, this song wasn't nominated for Best Original Song because it was first published in 1913 by the partially blind musician Dick Burnett. Obviously. 
<laughs> Don't think I have anything on that one quite yet. Wait, it was. Can you say the first part of this clue again? It wasn't nominated for best original song because it was originally published in 1913. Okay. Okay. All right. For three points, variations have been recorded by many artists, including Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Judy Collins, Peter Paul and Mary, Rod Stewart, and Jerry Garcia. Um, it's a movie song, or you can't say anything. We I are, think they're all going to be movie songs. They're all movie songs. Okay. I said that it wasn't nominated for best original song. I should say that that's the Oscar. Oscar. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jerry Garcia. It's a little random. All right. Uh, you guys ready for two point clue? <sighs> I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two points. The song received a CMA award for single of the year in 2001 and a Grammy for best country collaboration with vocals in 2002. So that's a country music award. CMAs. Single CMAs. of the year. Yeah. And a Grammy Best country collaboration with vocals. I think I'm gonna text. Wait, did we get a year on that? Uh, the it was the CMA was in 2001. The Grammy was in 2002. Okay, okay. So Nick is locked in with two points. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so for one point, the initial plan was for the song to be sung by the film's lead actor George Clooney. However, it was found that his recording was not up to the required standard, so the vocals were re-recorded. Oh, it was the um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou song. Um, All right, Nick, Nick, what was your guess? I was kind of in the same ballpark, but I went with that old standard uh, Rocky Mountaintop. All right, let's hear the answer. Round three. I am the man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all. Soggy Bottom Boys. Soggy bottom Boys. But what's Man the of one? Constant Sorrow by man Soggy of Bottom Boys. God, that, right. that song was awesome. Oh, man. And it's really funny that George Clooney couldn't sing it, but he, <laughs> he tried and they were like, no. I used to get into an argument with my friend's mom in high school where she's like, he has such a great voice. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, he's not singing. She, I was like, you've seen, we've watched the interview together where he says that he hasn't, he's not singing. She's like, no, he was just fibbing. That's, that's the, the sign, the mark of a great actor. Oh man. All right. Uh, round four. Round four. I should say Chris is in the lead with six, six to zero. So oh, Nick, you're going to have to play some uh, catch up here. This is harsh. You can't win. Round four. You can't win. You can't win. <laughs> <laughs> we are by, uh, by stating the score, we are emptying some of the dramatic tension of the game, but round five, round four, the five point clue. Uh, this song was the best selling song of 2014 in the United States, selling 6.45 million copies. It was the best-selling song of all of 2014. Six point how many? Six point four five million copies. Okay. Wait. I'm gonna just send something. Okay. Just to make it interesting. Is this related to the game, or are you just sending me something else? I'm just sending you something right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm sending you my answer. Um, okay. And here we go. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. Locked in at five. Uh, no, right. I, I made a mistake. <laughs> Three <laughs> points. <laughs> Nick. Uh, the song was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song in 2014. 
but lost to Let It Go from the movie Frozen. What was Man. I thinking? All right, do you want the uh, the two-point clue? I'll take a two-pointer. The song was originally written for CeeLo Green, but Elektra Records uh, decided against it, so the song's author became its performer. Mm. So uh, Elektra Records uh, cheated CeeLo Green out of 6.45 million copies. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Turned out he was a Could've monster anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy, huh? <laughs> um, uh, I'll take a one-pointer. All right, one point. Just to recap, this was the top song of 2014. <laughs> How is it not Baby by Justin Bieber? Uh, written for an animated film sequel starring Steve Carell that made over $970 million globally. So, computer animated sequel. Something from Shrek 2? No, man. I know All that. Right, Chris, Chris, what is what was your guess that you locked in? It's <laughs> completely wrong. <laughs> Gangnam Style by Sonic. That's what I was thinking, but that's not in a movie. No, it's not. I don't know why. I was like, oh, movie. <laughs> I'm a moron. Um, uh, do you, do you have a different guess now, or what well, do you think? Despicable Me is the sequel. Oh, Happy Pharrell. All right, let's hear the answer to round four. Good job, guys. It was a squeaker. Yeah. It was a squeaker, but I, it looks like Chris might have come out on top. Victory! 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 Gotta do some fanfare. Is there clapping? What does the audience feel? How does it feel about Audience? That? Audience, how do you feel? That's right! Oh, That's man. fucking right! We gotta right. get some new clapping sound effects. <laughs> God, All dude. Right. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, yeah, Caleb. Thanks for playing, guys. I hope that was a great that. game. Do, do you remember uh, 2014 and how we'd force that song upon, like, stadiums full of old people and made them dance to happy <laughs> like again oh, yeah. and again and again yeah love that <laughs> well let's get back into the pretty and pink soundtrack we're coming in on track number eight this is the danny hutton hitters with wouldn't it be good Another band, uh, Danny Hutton Headers, that there's not that much info about. Uh, kind of a stinky track. I kind of, well... I don't mind it. I, I kind of, I, I don't like it that much, but I feel like this would be a standout track on a bad soundtrack. And I think it's only that we're in a pretty good soundtrack that we are looking down on it. But uh, it's actually, a first. it's our first cover of the soundtrack, I think. Um, it's I didn't a very, realize it was a cover. It's a very faithful cover. The original, I think, was from just a couple years earlier and is a little more new wavy. And uh, Danny Hutton was one of the lead singers and principal songwriters from Three Dog Night. One of the things that's crazy to me, I can't imagine a bigger musical shift than what happened from 1976 to 1986. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like all the the Eagles going solo and like like Chicago becoming the Peter Cetera Chicago and like... The sound just 
completely I don't know. Yeah, all that singer-songwriter stuff just had no place in the 80s. The commercially, I think they people like still pulled it off, but they I feel like they just aged like 30 years in like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people hated it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny because now like, you know, people are trying to get back to that sound from the 80s, but yeah. You know, it was like a lot of the rock people at the time were, you know, trashing 80s new wave and, and synth pop music. Well, I just kind of like, I imagine from 10 years ago, like, like if the National had to completely change their sound to be like some other kind of band. If the National went like Bieber pop. Yeah, the National, yeah, they're having to do like. <laughs> Auto-tune stuff. <laughs> just had to add a saxophone to their roster. Yeah. <laughs> Like, we don't know, guys. He's new. He's good. He's well, good. Yeah. yeah, it's so like Give all these Kenny 70s bands, they got like these mullet haircuts and then all of a sudden it's like these weird like twinkly synths and saxophone parts. And I don't know what it's a symptom of really. I mean, there's like some old interview with Frank Zappa where he's saying that like the music that he started making early on with like Mothers of Invention, there's no way that it would have been uh, picked up, you know, like in this era because record executives uh, weren't trying to act like they knew what was cool. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of said that that was the dangerous thing that started to happen because back in the sixties, people didn't really know it was cool. So they, they took chances on stuff more. And as soon as people thought that they knew what was cool, that's when things started to get really cheese ball. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Yeah, he's not wrong. Yeah. Well, this song was playing uh, in the tracks record store. Uh, right when Andrew McCarthy uh, Blaine walks in for the first time. And uh, I believe it to like, I mean, it makes sense that this would be a song playing at tracks. I would, yeah, I, I mean, would you know that, that you're not watching High Fidelity when you walk into the record <laughs> store and the Danny Hutton hitters are on the, on the speakers. <laughs> yeah. That band name kind of sounds similar to the uh, that band name that the outfield wanted to go with for a little while. The Baseball, baseball boys. boys. The Danny Hutton hitters. Hutton hitters. <laughs> Oh I man, I miss baseball. I miss baseball. <laughs> the the Kia Lions today, or the Samsung Lions played the Kia Tigers, or whatever the heck the Korean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the KBO, the ESPN has been airing the Korean baseball organization games like at one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, just anything sports methadone. Um, I will say about Andrew McCarthy on this. Uh, I think this might have been the first recorded. Uh, sliding into someone's dms uh the way he <laughs> oh god that weird computer scene yeah it's so weird it's like hey we should we should do something with computers guys <laughs> she was like yeah that was really cool what you did with the computer <laughs> it's ridiculous. yeah it was so bizarre man <laughs> yeah. there was like graphics like he would have had to have like programmed that thing or yeah, yeah. i don't know Turns out he was a real smarty pants. <laughs> I gotta say, there's like a little bit of uh, camera trickery in this film because there's kind of like throughout the film, like Ducky is like this little guy and Andrew McCarthy is like seems taller. And then there's one scene where they're kind of face to face. And I think John Cryer is a lot taller. <laughs> yeah. When uh, when John Cryer and James Spader were going at it, yeah, yeah. Like fighting, I was like, oh, wait, they're like the same height. And like, I think Ducky might have this guy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think he's gonna take him. <laughs> All right, yeah. Nick. What do we got next? Coming up on track number nine. This is Echo and the Bunnymen with "Bring On the Dancing Horses." Bring on the dancing horses, whatever they may want, shiver. 
Another song that uh, became a big hit that was uh, made for the movie. I know this is, I mean, I like Echo and the Bunny Man quite a bit. And this is one of my favorite songs of theirs. And I had, I'd never known that it was that it was not on one of their albums. I mean, I think they there's like a pretty popular compilation of singles that they put out that it was on. But I didn't realize, yeah, it was written for this movie. Yeah, yeah pretty amazing. I think it, whatever deal they worked out, it came out. It was released as a single like before the movie actually, or before the uh, soundtrack came out. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack launched uh, a lot of amazing music. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's really impressive, man. It's really yeah. impressive. And uh, Echo and the Bunny Men has come up uh, kind of like NXS a li- little bit more frequently. Yeah, these days. <laughs> how are we circling around these guys? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> um, that was on the um, the Donnie Darko soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. So of course. good, so good. Terrible band name. I can never uh, get it. Like, <laughs> I, I, always, I think I always say it every time they come up, but of all like the the bands that have stupid names that you just you kind of forget are stupid because you love the band so much. This yeah. is one that I can't quite get over. <laughs> <laughs> I watched yeah. a, a Key and Peele uh, sketch that I had never seen somehow, but it was, they're all yelling for Darius Rucker on stage. <laughs> like, Hootie! And he's like, I'm not Hootie. It's a shitty band name. It's Hootie and the Blowfish. There's there's no Blowfish. I'm not Hootie. It's like Toad the Wet Sprocket. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, man. Hootie was the uh, first concert that I ever saw live. Nice, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it was for that. It was for the Cracked Rear View tour. Oh, oh man! Yeah, it was. Uh, it was amazing. I went to the concert in a uh, in a limousine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. How pretty, old were you? Pretty wild. Uh, that was in first grade, so Holy I would have been. Shit. Uh, I would have been like seven. Dude, you were living the dream. Did you have a Man. slice of cheese pizza in the limousine? <laughs> slice of cheese pizza, like Dr. stole Pepper? a sip of Budweiser from my dad. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, we are pulling into the last track on the soundtrack here. Uh, we've got track 10. This is The Smiths with Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want. Haven't had a dream in a long time See, the life I've had can make a good man bad So, for once in my life, let me get what I want Lord knows it would be the first time Lord knows it would be the first time I'm kind of amazed that John Hughes was able to get a track by the Smiths happening on this because, like, Morrissey is famous for only communicating via fax. <laughs> well, it was 86, so it, it was, was probably fax, man. Yeah. It was the mojo. <laughs> the mojo in, machine. In 1986, you could get a hold of Morrissey and, uh, and Bill Murray, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever believe you. <laughs> so this, was, uh, this is a part in the film where 
you see Ducky's apartment or his room? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, super depressing. Train spotting uh, <laughs> sort of setup. Yeah, very train spotting. <laughs> fucking mattress on the <laughs> floor. He looks like a. It's like the weird candid shot of the of an Instagram influencer wannabe, and you're like, oof. Yeah. Uh, but it's like Ducky's sitting on the ground. And he's listening to the Smiths, and that's the scene where I'm like, oh no, like, like, oh no, I'm Ducky, and it's like. <laughs> And I'm like, and of course, it makes me hate him even more. <laughs> oh, <God. Yeah. laughs> it's like sad Ducky listening to Smiths. Fuck, that was me in high school. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great track. Oh, it's, great oh, it's track. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to the Smiths alone in your room after uh, a girl friend zoned you so hard oh, uh, is pretty no relatable. Box yeah. No box spring. <laughs> Graffiti on the walls. Yeah. What's going on, man? <laughs> then there's a scene at the end when she runs into him at the prom yeah. and he's like wearing kind of like a bit of a bowler tie. He's, yeah, he's got this kind of like velvet, blue velvet tux or something. He looks great. I, okay, that was what I was going to say. The shot, it, it pulls up here like you're supposed to be like, hot damn, but it's like, what? He like, no, looks. He looks goofy as shit. He looks goofy. When you go in, it's James Spader with the, un, the undone bow tie. That's the hot shit. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, what a piece of ass. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, Spader. Oh, just crushing it, popping lewds at his prom. Oh, um, man. He's the only 35-year-old at the prom. <laughs> what was, uh, how was y'all's prom experience? I didn't. I didn't go. I was. What? In, I was in Mexico. I didn't. I missed my prom. Uh, Rebel. Do you feel like there's something missing from your life, and it's because no, you never went to prom? I went to an art school. It was kind of. It wasn't anything that I even thought about. Like I scheduled this trip, and I was like, "Oh, so he's like, you're gonna miss prom." And I'm gonna be like, "What? <laughs> miss what? Are we doing okay?" Yeah. Our school was so small. Like each class had about twenty to thirty people in it. So having a prom just for seniors was, you know not going to happen so we actually had prom four years in a row nice <laughs> nice we did and i went to all yeah what did you do oh you went to all four went to all four i had Ooh. the same girlfriend all through high school nice man that's beautiful yeah. that's beautiful I was gonna say four years of prom is a recipe for getting some 18 year olds to take 14 year olds to a dance that's great <laughs> it was uh yeah there was a lot of that happening <laughs> it's pretty insane i uh we had junior senior prom um, I went with my junior year girlfriend, uh, junior year, and then senior year girlfriend, senior year. And then I went to my senior year girlfriend's prom in Arkansas. So I went to three. Um, but, All right, rank uh, them. Top three. Top three proms. I, I'm, I've been racking my brain right now. I do not remember the actual prom at uh, the Arkansas one. I don't remember anything about it. I remember the after party. Blacked out. Blacked out. Uh, I think I had like one glass of champagne and I blacked out. <laughs> um, uh, senior year at, at Country Day, my my high school in Fort Worth. I went with Brett and uh, Reed and uh, Marshall Newman, I believe, was with us. And I had the after party at my parents' house. So I was, it was pretty cool. It's a pretty cool prom. But, <laughs> Well, maybe we'll uh, have a prom for Caleb one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta do it. We'll do it on Zoom. Well, thank you for the uh, Pretty in Pink soundtrack, yeah. Chris. Yeah, I'm Good. glad. Yeah, I'm glad we Good got to pick. do this one. Let's uh, let's rate this bad boy. Let's do Chris, it. Chris, uh, Chris got a lead off out of 15 stars. Decimal points allowed. Ah, uh, 
I like this a lot. I, I think this is definitely one of those soundtracks that is uh, is hurt from all the songs in the in the movie that do not show up on the soundtrack. Um, and there's a lot of good ones. Um, you've got the Copacabana. The Copacabana. Uh, you've got Charlie Sexton. Uh, you've got Rudy. Um, and a couple Otis Redding, of course, Cherish, a couple NXS, or, or excuse me, a couple New Order songs. Um, so that sucks. And even the, um, even like the score is pretty cool. It's kind of synthy and fun. Um, but all in all, out of these 10 songs, I think they're pretty solid. I'm going to give this a 13.1. Nice. nice. 13.2. <laughs> oh. <laughs> changing it up <laughs> all right nikki how did you feel about the soundtrack i felt great it was also fun watching this uh, movie for the first time this week but yeah the soundtrack definitely you know for a lot of young mo- moviegoers you know this was a lot of people's uh primer on the new wave hits of the 80s when it came out it also peaked at number five on the billboard 200 chart uh so the soundtrack is done very well you know it's considered one of the best there's a couple of uh, stinky tracks on there, but you kind of get that with any soundtrack that we review. But um, love the soundtrack. Love a lot of the music. 14.5. Wow. Good rating. All right. It's it's funny to like doing this soundtrack uh, as recently as we just did the, uh, the Donnie Darko soundtrack because there's a lot of the same bands, kind of a yeah. lot of the same vibe. It's funny. Like, I, you know, I gave a great rating to the Donnie Darko soundtrack. But the fact that this is almost exclusively original music, um, I guess the the Danny Hutton hitters, that's a cover that's actually, I would say, a little bit better than the original. And then the Psychedelic Furs doing a worse cover of their own song. Um, I guess the Smiths is a pre-existing song. That's not original. But uh, OMD and Echo and the Bunnymen, those are two of my, like, you know, I would say probably two of the best songs from the 80s, really. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The NXS song is not great. Uh, but the fact that so much of it is original for this soundtrack, I got to give it a 14.3. Dang. Thanks again, Chris, for the great soundtrack. We're going to move into our recommended track, and this is our favorite rich song in the spirit of uh, some <laughs> of the characters in the movie, some, James, of the, some of the yeah. richies. As they're referred to as. Asshole. <laughs> uh, I'll lead off if you guys don't mind. Sure. Go for it. Um, so I actually, I've got a song to recommend that I've been listening to a ton lately. And uh, it's funny when I was thinking about songs, uh, songs about the rich, it's kind of nice that this is a little more of a lighthearted kind of gentle ribbing of, of rich guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to send me into a kind of a class warfare type of uh sentiment so this is <laughs> it's a little bit lighter um this is from 2016 an artist i think from houston originally um devendra banhart with a song called fancy man i've got a dumb dance inside my pants man and i've watched all the latest shows on bing bong i rode a gift horse into town free subscriptions all around you look like you could use a night in heaven we're so in love everywhere we go it's walking on the water suddenly all the pain and all the tears are music to my ears 
Andrew Banhart, kind of a uh, kind of a goofball, kind of known as a goofball. Oh, yeah, I love that. He's a little bit of a yogurt and granola indie rocker, but uh, I I just love that song so much. The lyrics are pretty funny. It's like uh, sometimes I get to think, is this a fancy thing? Is this a fancy thought? I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> so if, you, if you watch interviews with him, he kind of reminds you of like a like a Russell Brand type. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I liked it yeah, a lot. Like it, now look, I don't want look, to look it up. Look it up. It's, it gave me a bit of a Harumi Hasono vibe. Uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. sportsman, fancy man. If you listen yeah. to, you can hear, uh, especially around on this album and and around this era. He's definitely you can hear some influence of like some William O'Neill bar and like different types of kind of like eclectic, uh, like I would say world electro. Uh, but I love this track. Give it a, give it a listen. Hell yeah, Fancy that's great. It's great track. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, all right, I've got a track queued up here. Let's do it. This is from Frank Ocean's album Channel Orange, his uh, hip hop opus from 2012, and in the spirit of. Uh, pretty in pink this is a track he did with earl sweatshirt this is super rich kids too many joy rides in daddy's jaguar too many white lies and white lines super rich kids with nothing but loose ends super rich kids with nothing but fake friends start my day up on the roof there's nothing like this type of view the clicker at the tube. I prefer expensive news. New car, new girl, new ice. New- Great track from Frank Ocean. It's kind of got like a Vin- Benny and the Jets groove going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Frank Ocean. Earl Sweatshirt also has a great um, like little rap interlude on the bridge on that song. But uh, if you haven't heard Super Rich Kids, check it out. I love yeah, Earl. Great. great pick. Great, great pick. pick. Great picks, guys. All um, right, Chrissy, bring us home. What do you got for us? I've got a song off of an album called Cream City by Elon called Rock and Roll Gangster. Rock and Roll Gangster. Rock and Roll Gangster. Nice groove. Yeah. I, I like that. I've never heard that. I like that quite a bit. Uh, Alan. A-A-L-O-N. A-A-L-O-N. Uh, named after Alon Butler, um, who was a guitarist and lead singer. But it's a it's a soul group uh, from the 70s. They didn't do much. I heard that song on uh, an episode of Boondocks. And it was there was a character named Gangs Delicious who was like thinly veiled 50 cent or like a similar rapper and it has, you know, kind of a fun story arc. But um, yeah, that song kind of reminds me of like, man, if you, if you get rich, people can't tell you shit. And uh, <laughs> you know, in the, in the seventies, uh, like pre hip hop artists, you know, rock and roll gangsters were all they had, <laughs> I guess to, to look up to. So R&B stuff. All right, Chris. Very thank nice. you. Thank you for that pick. Thank yeah. you for the soundtrack. It's Thanks, everybody, job. for listening. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John Hughes. Thank you, Duckies. I love that we bought that light up applause sign for the crowd. It's working really well. What's that say? Applesauce? No, applause. (laughs) Uh, Real quick tidbit. Um, Mr. Show asked John Cryer to be in an episode one time. Yeah. And he shows up to set and they're like, oh, so you're playing Ducky. And he's like, what? Oh, I thought you guys just wanted me as like a in like a sketch, and they're like, "No one told you, like you agreed to it before you knew that you were gonna play Ducky." And he was like, "Just let's just do it, okay?" <laughs> Apparently, he was like a real good sport about it, but it's just like, "God damn it, that was years ago." Just let me let me live it down. <laughs> I forgot to mention. Yeah, whose pick is it next? I think we got a Caleb's pick coming up next. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to figure out what figure out what to do. I'll let you guys you know. S- stick in the John Hughes milieu. Something with NXS and Echo and the Bunny Man. That's all I know. We can't get away from those two bands. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope everyone's doing safe, and uh, we love you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Be safe. Stay good. Bye.